We bow our heads and pray. Almighty God, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty. But it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So I direct your attention to the gospel reading for this morning on page 8 of your bulletin. Beginning at verse 25, at that time, and you may wonder what time, what time is it in the gospel? Well, the context of Matthew 11 is really one of rejection and doubt. Matthew 11 begins with John the Baptist sending messengers to Jesus, asking him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for someone else? At this point, John is in jail, and Jesus reports back to John through the messengers that he sent. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended in me. Implying, perhaps, that John was offended by the lack of judgment on Christ's part. Well, that's followed by the report of rejection of his message among the people. Jesus says, John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said he has a demon. I've come eating and drinking, said Jesus. And they say, oh, he's a glutton and a drunkard. In other words, you can't please these people. They're rejecting the message. And then Jesus goes on in chapter 11 to pronounce woes upon unrepentant cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and others. They're rejecting the message. They're not receiving him as the God-sent Savior. So that's the context. So at that time, in that context, Verse 25, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Now, if I were in Jesus' shoes, I suspect I might be complaining about the lack of reception of the gospel message rather than praising God for what's going on. But Jesus praises God for what's going on. And what's going on is this. You have hidden these things. These things refer to the Christ revelation of the Father, refers to his rest his easy yoke that he bestows. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So, Roman number one in your sermon outline on page nine, the Father's gracious will is, letter A, Christ is hidden from the wise or those who are wise in their own estimation. Now, Jesus himself isn't hiding anything, but he comes as one who's gentle and lowly in heart, and those who are wise and learned do not expect God to come as one who's gentle and, low, and lowly in heart. Jesus is not the kind of God they expect. He's not the kind of God they want. They reject that kind of a God, and in that sense, the truth about God remains hidden from them. Only a God who is gentle and lowly can go to the cross. 
but the wise and the learned will have nothing to do with that kind of God. Letter B. The other part of the Father's gracious will, Christ is revealed to little children. Now, all of us are little children in the sight of God. I think we're aware of that. All of us are utterly dependent upon God for all that we have. But not all of us believe that. To some of us, it's been revealed that we are completely dependent upon the grace of God for everything. But to those who are wise in their own estimation, that knowledge has not been given. Those who are wise in their own estimation need to see that God favors those who are humble. They need to see that God himself is gentle and lowly in heart. Only that way can they possibly repent of their pride and humble themselves before God. So Jesus praises the Father for this work of hiding these things from the wise and revealing them to the humble because the Father, in doing so, the Father is giving to each group exactly what they need. The humble need to be encouraged and comforted by God's favor, while the wise need to be humbled and brought to repentance. So Roman numeral two, how do we know this is the Father's will? How do we know that it's the Father's will to conceal Christ from some and to reveal Christ to others? Well, letter A, Jesus alone knows the Father. Verse 27, no one knows the Father except the Son. And because he's the only Son, he is the one in a position to reveal what the Father is truly like. The Son is the visible expression of the Father himself. And if the Son is gentle and lowly in heart, you better believe the Father is gentle and lowly in heart as well. And if anyone should know what the Father's really like, it would be the Son himself. Letter B. Jesus alone reveals the Father to whomever he chooses. He reveals the Father. We do not choose Jesus. He chooses us. Jesus is the only one who truly knows the Father, and he's the sole source of revelation of the Father. You cannot acknowledge God as Father unless the Son has revealed that to you. And let her see. This scandal of particularity is a cross that we bear. Now, the scandal of particularity says that God chose to reveal himself not to a lot of great religious teachers around the globe, which the world would have you believe. The scandal of particularity says that God in his mercy chose to reveal himself through a particular individual, that being Jesus Christ. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Now, think of any other human being talking this way. You can't imagine it. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, my friends, that is quite a hefty claim. And it reminds me of John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, those are exclusive claims, meaning they exclude other religious claims 
made by other great teachers. And if what Jesus says is true, if what he says is true, then the claims of other religions cannot be true. Now, to speak that way in today's pluralistic culture is probably the ultimate offense. But this is a cross we gladly bear. And we bear it for the sake of the world which needs to hear of and to believe in Christ. Roman numeral three. Life under the Father's care. Letter A. Jesus invites the needy. He invites the needy and he invites them to himself. Jesus invites the needy, the humble, the lowly in heart. God himself is lowly and humble in heart. And those qualities are most visible at the cross. And if God is humble and lowly in heart, how dare we exalt ourselves as those who are wise and learned? We dare not. And notice, Jesus invites the needy to himself. Jesus does not say, come to God. He says, come to me. If Jesus were merely a prophet, he could at best only speak about God, saying, come to God and he will give you rest. Instead, Jesus speaks as God, saying, come to me and I will give you rest. So point number one, in Jesus, God gets a face. We can put a face to God. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And point number two, those who are burdened receive rest. They receive rest. And those who burden others, and that would include the Pharisees, whom Jesus says, lay heavy burdens on the backs of others, and they don't lift a finger themselves to carry the same load. Those who burden others receive warning. They receive warning. As the psalmist wrote, exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He brings down one and he lifts up another. And in Luke chapter 1, the mother of our Lord said this, said, the Lord has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has exalted those of humble estate. That's what God is always doing throughout Scripture. Letter A, Christ's yoke is his cross, his own cross. And that is his Father's will. Jesus said in John 3, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand, including the cross. Jesus says in John 4, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And that means the cross. From there he said, it is finished. The cross was Christ's career. And in John 15, Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. So letter B, a quote from D.L. Moody, love makes all things easy. It makes all things easy. Or if you don't want to agree with that, I don't blame you if you don't, but if you don't want to agree with that, you can say love makes all things easier. I think that's true. 
Or you could say love makes all things joyful rather than burdensome. I love the way it's expressed in Genesis 29. Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of what? Because of the great love he had for her. And that, my friends, is similar to the yoke that Jesus describes in our gospel reading for today. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. Now notice, it's still a yoke. But it's an easier yoke. He goes on to say, and my burden is light, meaning it's still a burden. But it's a burden lightened by God's love for us, made visible at the cross. My friends, Jesus does not think of rest in this context. He doesn't think of rest as doing nothing at all. That's not rest. God created us to work, and to bear a yoke means you go to work. But when you're motivated by love, the burdensome nature of work disappears. The work becomes a joy, not a burden. When you love someone, you work willingly, not grudgingly. You work not because you have to. You work because you want to. St. Paul wrote, love bears all things. Love endures all things. He goes on to say, love is the fulfillment of the law. The greatest commandment, love the Lord. The second is like it, love your neighbor. All the commandments are summed up in one word, that is love. They are what love looks like. And when you love you automatically do what the law commands. And that's why John would write in this first epistle, his commandments are not burdensome. We want to do them when our heart's motivated by love. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that Christ has laid down his life for us, so we lay down our lives for the brothers. You see, love makes all the difference. And God's love for us in Christ lightens every load that we are called upon to bear. Now, I want to close with a question. How many of you have ever been in an earthquake? Raise your hand if you've been in an earthquake. You could feel the ground move. I don't recall being in one, but but I've heard that you, you feel powerless at that moment. You have no control over what's going on. And you feel powerless because you actually are. An earthquake is when two plates of the Earth's crust come together, they slip, and it releases tremendous energy that sends shock waves through the crust of the Earth. Now, in addition to the main earthquake, there can be aftershocks. Those are minor tremors uh, after the main shock. And there can also be foreshocks, minor tremors that come before the main shock. That's a foreshock. Now, in the Bible, my friends, earthquakes are often associated with Judgment Day. And I, I want you to think for just a moment. Think of Judgment Day as a great earthquake. And just as an earthquake can rearrange the landscape, What had been low ground may become high ground suddenly, and what had been high ground suddenly is brought low 
So Judgment Day will rearrange humanity's social landscape, the social landscape. The proud will be brought low, and the humble will be lifted up. But my friends, God does not need to wait until the last day to lift up the lowly and to humble the proud. He does it today in passages like our Gospel reading. In our Gospel lesson, Jesus praises the Father for hiding the Gospel from those who are wise in their own estimation and revealing it to little children. Now, as I said earlier, Jesus isn't hiding from anyone. He's out openly doing and saying. But he comes as one who is gentle and lowly in heart, and those who are wise in their own estimation do not expect a God who comes as one gentle and lowly in heart, because they themselves are not gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is not the kind of God they expect. He is not the kind of God they want. They reject him. And so the truth that God has come to them in the person of Jesus Christ remains hidden from them by their own choice. Already the ministry of Jesus is revealing a division among people, the same kind of division that will be clearly evident on Judgment Day. The proud need to see that God favors those who are humble. They need to see that God himself is gentle and lowly in heart. Only in that way can they repent of their own pride and humble themselves finally before God. Our gospel lesson for this morning is like a rumble. It is like a foreshock of the coming quake that is Judgment Day. Already, God is lifting up the lowly through the gospel message and bringing low the proud. The Father is giving each group precisely what it needs. The humble are comforted by God's favor, and the proud are falling under the Lord's discipline. And the Lord disciplines all whom he loves. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.